Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hicks! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey there everybody welcome back to the podcast this is dan kadar and today on the show with nate ulrich we are going to be going over browns otas what he has seen out there the media has been allowed to watch i believe two sessions in the last couple weeks so nate is going to have some thoughts on that we're going to have some thoughts on the David Njoku contract. It was a, a very big deal, and then we'll, we'll talk through that a little bit. And Jadavian Clowney is officially back with the Browns, so we will talk about that too here on Cover 2 this week. Before we do that, don't forget we are brought to you by USA Today Sports Plus. It's a new look at sports from our friends over at USA Today. You can download their app off the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. All right, Nate. It's uh, We're recording this here Thursday afternoon. You've now seen two practices of the, I guess we can call them the New Look Cleveland Browns, given they have a new franchise quarterback. What uh, What is your biggest takeaway, I guess, from observing a few practices here? Well, I mean, the biggest takeaway, Dan, is just that Deshaun Watson makes passing the ball look effortless, you know. And, I mean, that's not a huge revelation, you know. If if, if you watch him with the Texans and, uh, you know, when he was healthy and he was playing, um, you know, his three full seasons, you knew he's a really uh, talented quarterback with an elite skill set. But, you know, just seeing him up close in person, and I've seen him play in person before, obviously. He played the Browns a couple times. But seeing him in a practice in that setting and trying all the different throws, um, it really does jump out. You know, it's a flick of the wrist. Um, it, everything's just so fluid. Um, the accuracy is, is really good. Uh, but what I will say, too, is this the defense, and specifically the secondary, is challenging him. And, you know, you can't tell a lot from OTAs because they're spring practices. The guys are in helmets and, and, you know, they're not wearing pads They're you know, in shorts. Um, so, you know, there's not hitting or anything like that, but I think the most you can glean is watching the, you know, pass catchers go against defensive backs, you know, because, you know, they do get to run seven on seven and 11 on 11 and, you know, they're, they're covering guys, you know, so you're not going to see a lot from linebackers and, you know, trying to make tackles and, and, and running backs. 
uh, making guys, you know, miss or stiff arming guys or, you know, the line play. I mean, all that's very, very watered down without pads, as we know. But I do think you can see some guys who are standing out from, you know, the receiver and tight end standpoint and then from the cornerback and safety standpoint and and also quarterback, obviously, you know, throwing it around to the guys and, um, you know, seeing how he fares against a, a secondary. And this secondary is really, uh, with the exception of Troy Hill being traded to the Rams and Martin Emerson Jr. being drafted in the third round, it's it's intact from last season. You know, you got Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom out there as your, your top two corners. And then you got a competition at, at the number three corner between Greedy Williams uh, an obvious uh, veteran and incumbent and Martin Emerson Jr. coming in as a rookie out of the third round, like I mentioned a second ago. So that's kind of the way the secondary sh- uh, shaking up and shaping up in the in the cornerback room. The big development is obviously Drake Newsom playing on the inside, uh, which he did some last year. They're really going to give him a look as their main nickelback uh, this season. So if they're playing two corners, you know, he'll be on the outside opposite Denzel Ward. But if they if they enter nickel, which will be in the vast majority of the time, Greg would move it to the inside and cover the slot. And that's a lot to ask, but he's embracing that challenge. Talked to him last week about it, wrote about it. Um, and I just think that you're seeing more comfort with, you know, the safeties. Grant Delpit and John Johnson III really get into practice together this time of year. You know, last year, Johnson was coming into a whole new team, a whole new scheme as a, as a you know, big free agent signing. And Delpit was coming off the ruptured Achilles tendon. He suffered as a rookie. So they didn't really get to, to gel a whole lot. Um, but that's your starting safety tandem. Ronnie Harrison Jr. is back with the team, but, you know, he's in the, the third safety role. But so seeing Delpit and Johnson back there and, and getting more on the same page and learning each other more, working things out, I think is, is a significant development that's kind of overlooked. And I think it kind of came uh, to the forefront a little bit yesterday in a seven on 70, John Johnson, third did pick off the Sean Watson. So as good as Watson has looked throwing the ball around in, in these settings, uh, that secondary has, has definitely put up uh, some stiff competition and, and really he did not, you know, have like a, a, you know, practice yesterday when, when Brown's uh, beat writers were out there that was loaded with highlights because that secondary was, was providing the challenges it provides. And, you know, Johnson picking them off was really the only play to, to talk about uh, at length yesterday. You know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because look, everybody is, is going to want to talk about Deshaun Watson. That's natural. He's a quarterback of an NFL team. He's new and, and all the other stuff that is, you know, the baggage that is coming with him. But I'm glad you brought up Johnson and Delpit. And I guess on the other side of the ball, then, Amari Cooper has been the the big addition to the receiving room. Jarvis Landry's gone. They, the Browns need a number one. They get this guy. A lot of expectations and a lot of they need him to be good coming over from the Dallas Cowboys. What has been your first impression of Amari Cooper? I mean, it's been good. It hasn't, you know, there hasn't been, you know, a ton of highlight real plays or anything from him in the two OTA sessions, open and media. Um, Not that there needs to be. This is a guy with a track record. We know what to expect. Four-time pro bowler. Um, You know, when he's on the the field, he's going to produce. 
But what I like most about <laughs> Amari Cooper is in the first OTA session last week, they're, they're, they had a special teams period. And Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson went over to another field. There are four practice fields across country mortgage campus. I think I said that right. Um, there are four practice fields, and they went over to another field where there's nothing else going on. And they worked routes together the entire period. And it wasn't just like Baker Mayfield used to like sometimes do that with Odell Beckham Jr. Like go to another field and, and work, um, you know, routes on air. This was way deeper because not only was it Watson and Cooper, but it was offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, quarterbacks coach Drew Petzing, and wide receivers coach Chad O'Shea. And just to like to have all the the top, you know, offensive assistants over there uh, as it pertains to the passing game. I'm not, you know, including Stump Mitchell, who's a run game coordinator and a great coach in his own right. But for the passing game, head honchos to be over there, Sands, Kevin Stefanski, with the number one quarterback and the number one receiver and going through things in detail over and over again, that stood out to me as something I haven't quite seen. And you can see the commitment and the emphasis so fixing a passing game that was broken last year, of course, the personnel is new, but you have to maximize it. And these guys are really working hard and to get on the same page. And I think that that was an example. So to me, actually, that was the best sign I've seen from Amari Cooper in a Browns uniform so far in just a few glimpses. Hmm. That's fascinating and, and encouraging to hear, you know, just because we're the Browns are coming off a, a situation where. It sure seemed like there was a division between their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and the wide receiver room as a whole. So that, that sounds like an encouraging development. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask about OTAs is this is really the first chance you're seeing that this group of rookies lined up with, with all the veterans. You know, obviously there was rookie minicamp and, and all that kind of stuff, but you know, some sometimes you can just look at a, a player, a rookie player, and just see, yeah, this guy looks a little different. He sticks out for a good reason. You can just tell a guy's going to be a player sometimes. Are there any of those among the rookies that you've seen as they've been interacting with these veterans? You know, you mentioned Emerson. He's he's clearly in an open competition there with with Greedy Williams, but. How about some of the other guys? You know, is, is Perrion Winfrey uh, dogging it up out there? Does he look like a, a player? Do, do, do any of these other rookies, like, catch your eyes? Like, wow, yeah, he's one to watch. Well, Perrion Winfrey, it's interesting. Um, again, he plays defensive tackle, so you're not going to be able to glean a lot of valuable information until the pads go on. However, uh, you know, he certainly passes the eyeball test. Is a very long uh, athletic three technique in this uh, four-man front. In the first OTA open the media, I did not see him do any 11 on 11. And I wondered if he was a little banged up or tweaked something or if anything happened. And I was told no. Um, this, yesterday, uh, so Wednesday, June 1st, in the second OTA open the media, he was with the twos and the threes. So, uh, you know, that's not surprising to me. I think he has a, a really good shot to earn a starting role as a rookie. But the Browns coaching staff, more times than not, they're going to roll with the veterans 
uh, you know, in OTAs and mandatory mini camp and the beginning of training camp, they'll defer to the veterans with, when it comes to the first string units most of the time. And then, you know, that's a way to make the rookies earn their way uh, up the depth chart. And so I think this was pretty predictable. But the first team defensive tackles so far, uh, when I've been allowed to watch, have been Jordan Elliott and Taven Bryan, the free agent acquisition uh, this offseason. Uh, so Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan with the ones. And then with the twos, uh, this past uh, open session, it was Perion Winfrey and Tommy Togiai. Then with the threes, uh, Perion Winfrey stayed on the field and Sheldon Day entered the mix uh, with the 13 defense. So uh, Perion Winfrey's right there. He's going to have a shot, but going to have to supplant uh, Jordan Elliott. Uh, you know, is that three technique? I think Taven Bryan's a guy who's going to get a shot to be a starter here because, you know, he's a former first round pick, had a part time role in Jacksonville, but they obviously liked him, signed him to approve it deal. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, he's going to have a leg up uh, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see about the other spot. But I, I think Perrion Winfrey has has a, as good a chance as anyone. So we'll see more when the pads come on. Uh, David Bell, uh, the wide receiver out of Purdue. He really isn't in the, hey, you know, you've got to really work your way up role. He's really the slot guy uh, for this offense right now. And I think that, um, you know, we'll see how, how it bears out in the cornerback room. I don't think Greedy Williams is, is somebody to discount. But Martin Emerson certainly passes the eyeball test long. I mean, it really his size stands out among the veteran. Uh, you know, when you put him in the mix with the veterans, he certainly looks the part. Um, so that cornerback competition is, is interesting. Who's going to get on the field as a number three? But wide receiver, I just see David Bell making an immediate impact in the slot, getting every opportunity to do so. And, you know, probably other than kicker Cade York, I would say um, David Bell's kind of the safest bet to be on the field the most as a rookie. Uh, so we'll see how things unfold. But he's looked good so far in the limited amount of time being able to watch him. And they're really banking on him. Now, I mean, he's a guy who can play outside and inside, played mostly outside at Purdue, but we've talked about it before, just, you know, the Jarvis Landry type roles that this offense is going to be looking to to fill with Landry, you know, obviously released in March and ended up signing with his hometown Saints. Um, they're going to be looking for somebody. Uh, not not saying, I always have to put this disclaimer out there. I'm not saying David Bell's going to be Jarvis Landry. I mean, that's, that's a five-time Pro Bowler we're talking about. But the idea that he can do some of the same things, maybe not necessarily at the same level. The Browns would be thrilled if he could do it at the same level. But you can't expect that certainly from him at all and definitely not going to be the expectation as a rookie. But I think that they really like his versatility and think that he can play well right away in the slot for him. Yeah, and I think that makes sense that those those are the guys who are kind of sticking out and have a chance to really make the biggest impact of the, the rookies. I think they were kind of viewed, you know, right after the draft as the ones to really pay attention to. So that, that's also encouraging. I'll tell you what, going back to defensive tackle, 
the way you're describing the players and, and who they have. And I got to tell you, that that's still to me screams. This is a place where they could look for an upgrade this offseason still. You know, I, I know there's veterans out there. I know the fan base is clamoring for Indomitian Sue, but I, I really think defensive tackles a, a position to continue to monitor in terms of off-season acquisitions. Am I completely wrong about that, Nate? It's a position to monitor. As for Sue, I was told weeks ago, I mean weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, very unlikely that the Browns would, would be in on him. Uh, you know, as serious suitors. So I don't think that one's going to happen, but definitely a position to watch. I'll agree with that. Mm. Anything particularly about Sue that just makes him so unlikely? Is there anything more there? Is it just that is what it is? I didn't get a reason. Um, Mm. I did. I don't know if it's a, you know, usually the answer is some, something about money. So, you know, maybe, you know, Again, this is not a position that Andrew Barry has spent a lot of money on. Okay, he let Larry Ogunjobi walk in free agency. Um, he let Sheldon he let Sheldon Richardson go in one of these cost saving moves. You know, he cut him. Um, you know, he drafts Perry on Winfrey in the fourth round with a chance to be a starting three technique. So you'll get him very cheap. He would be a very cheap starter on, on a rookie contract. Taven Bryan is signed to a modest one-year prove-it deal. I don't have it in front of me, Dan. It might be four or five million. Um, and there might be incentives in that, too. So, um, you know, Jordan Elliott, third-round pick, or Tommy Togiai, third-round pick. So it's not like he's going out and making splashes in free agency. And not that Sue would be that, especially at this time of the year, but he is an established guy with a big name who's been around for a long time. Um, and, and obviously made his Pro Bowls. Um, one, one, uh, you know, does he have one? He has a ring with the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he has multiple rings or not off the top of my head. He's been, I, he's I bounced around. Yeah, I, I don't he's think just, he does. Yeah. Um, okay, well, he's a guy, he's a guy who, you know, might just fit into that court category of it at this, uh, with this, um, front office's plan for interior defensive line not wanting to spend what he's looking for right yeah last year sue was a nine million dollar player you know and like you mentioned brian is on a one-year deal at 3.9 million so okay that, yeah. that, that that's a very good point um that, that's maybe just not a position that andrew barry wants to uh invest a lot of of the cap into and that, that that that'll be something interesting to follow during the season. You know, if if the Browns plummet in um, run defense, I think people will really point at that and say, okay, here's one of Andrew Barry's weak areas. Um, so that that's interesting. Nate, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Baker Mayfield, so I do have to ask just for the record. What, what's going on there? Are we just going to complete waiting, holding pattern? Um, what happens if he just wants to show up for, for mandatory mini camp? Can the Browns keep him away like that on, on starting on June 14th when, when mandatory mini camp starts? What's going on with, with Baker Mayfield? Anything at all? I mean, other than him at waiting for a trade that 
is just going to take time to materialize if it ever does. No, not really. Not a lot going on. So basically, you know, no one is required to be at Brown's headquarters among the players until mandatory minicamp, June 14th through the 16th. So Mm -hmm. at that point, players are contractually obligated to be there. So he hasn't been in any of the off-season workout program. You know, OTAs are part of that. Obviously not there. It's voluntary. So when it comes to mandatory minicamp, I've been told for months that he would go to avoid being fined and to avoid potentially screwing up any of the guaranteed uh, aspects of his contract. So he has the $18.85 million guaranteed on the fifth year option. So if you start getting fined, there could be arguments about whether guarantees are voided, things like that. Um, you know, grievances could be filed. So, I mean, he, he wants to avoid anything that would, you know, prevent him from getting his full $18.85 million guaranteed. So he would show up to avoid the fines, to avoid any potential contractual issues. That's what I've been told for, for months. Um, now, what could happen is the Browns and Baker's camp could come to an agreement that he doesn't need to show up and he would not be fined and none of the, you know, language in his contract would be in jeopardy if he were not to be there. They could come to an agreement to excuse him from mandatory minicamp. The Browns cannot tell him to stay away, but they can excuse him. So if he just made up his mind, said, I'm going to report, I'm not going to take it the chance, I, we, whatever, I don't want to agree with you guys on anything, I'm just going to be there. Um, you know, that they, they could not say you're not allowed, um, but they can excuse him. And so a logical conclusion, if he's not going to be there is that, you know, they'll work something out to agree to not find him. And it would be $95,000 in change for missing the, the three days of mandatory minicamp in fines. Um, so, you know, whether he shows up to avoid the fines um, or they come to an agreement, that's really the only question. And I don't really think it's a big deal either way. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. Baker Mayfield just strikes me as somebody who might enjoy making things ugly is all. Uh, just, you know, from my faraway vantage point. So we'll see. That that saga is certainly not over uh, for some some reason which is crazy yeah. but i mean but what what what's what's going to happen if he shows up at mandatory minicamp i think it could be very awkward oh you know, i mean like, yeah but like, be, well, well, what's the big disaster i just don't i don't think it's a big <laughs> he shows up it's awkward the whole off season's been awkward i mean they they gave a record-setting amount of guaranteed money to a franchise quarterback who just uh, got hit with his 23rd lawsuit this week I mean, so the stand, the bar for awkwardness is pretty high right now in Berea. I just, I, I'm not gonna, I just don't see the world ending if Baker Mayfield goes to mandatory minicamp to, to make sure he gets his money. I just that's, don't. That's true. I just think there, there is the potential for a scene that would, in, 
<laughs> that that could happen. You know, like Baker Mayfield being escorted off off the field or something. You know, like just I don't know, just something wacky. We'll see. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's not. Well, I don't care which way actually. I, I don't hope it it ends up good or bad. Um, but it's such a it's such a weird weird saga that the Browns yeah. have found themselves in, which is kind of typical, I suppose. But uh, let, let's move on. David yeah, I and Joe. I, I just yeah. for the record, I never yeah. say never, Dan and Bria. Never say never. I just don't. I just don't envision that level of drama being reached. Well, maybe. <laughs> you know. Maybe I've been watching too many soap operas while I've worked from home for the last two years. Who knows? Um, maybe that's it. But mo- moving on, David and Joku. Uh, everybody knows by now. Four years, fifty-four million dollars. It's a lot of money for a player who has been in the NFL for five years and been, I don't know, I, I get, I feel comfortable classifying him as being wildly inconsistent throughout his career. And the money puts him, you know, uh, alongside Mark Andrews of, of the Baltimore Ravens, just ahead of Johnu Smith, who signed a big deal with the Patriots last year. And of course, just behind the likes of George Kittle, Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard, who are the, Really, the, the standard bears for the position right now in the NFL. Nate, I, I, I'm kind of bored of the did he or did he get too much money? Yada yada yada. So my my question to you about David Njoku is, what does this contract tell you about what the Browns expect from him? Well, they definitely expect to feature him, and Kevin Stefanski said that that's what they want to do. Um, he said that yesterday. So, you know, it was about, I guess the logic is he's 25 years old and I keep talking about how it's so weird because he's been in the league for five seasons now. And when you talk about a guy who's drafted in 2017 and has that experience under his belt, you don't normally think of, well, you know, there's so much potential there. But that's what Andrew Barry and the Browns really think about David Njoku. They just still see so much upside and that he is going to uh, take advantage of more opportunities. And so they bet on that. Um, and they're, this is another one where I think they try to get ahead of the market. Um, you know, Amari Cooper, when they made that trade, I think it was March 12th. You know, the $20 million and they've since restructured, but that that was a that's a big salary and the receiver market has since just exploded and a lot of people have complimented the Browns on getting a steal uh, with the Amari Cooper trade and I don't know if the David Njoku thing is going to play out exactly like that but I think that's the goal from the Browns perspective to get ahead of a tight end market that way and again just looking at a guy who they they think is is talented enough to be the number one tight end Austin Hooper's gone. It's all David Njoku now. And if he's ever going to do it, this is the time for him to do it. So they've kind of put their eggs in that basket, and we'll see if he can answer the bell. Yeah, we will. His career at this point has been uh, shades of spectacular and shades of um, nothing, really. I mean, he's just been so up and down. But maybe the Browns are on to something here. Maybe they're getting ahead of of big deals coming for players like Darren Waller or 
uh, Zach Ertz or whomever, you know, so it's an interesting one. It's not my money, though, so what do I care how much they pay him? Nate, speaking of uh, contracts, Jadavian Clowney, that, that feels like a, it was a when, not if type of thing. He's back in Cleveland for another year. Don't think of a sigh of relief, do you think? Miles Garrett uh, breathed when that news finally came out. That was huge. I mean, that was really, you know, on defense, that, that was a top priority to get Clowney back. And, you know, we we talked about it before, Dan, like Clowney, he makes teams play the waiting game. So a couple months after free agency starts, he, he, he finally agrees to his deal. And, you know, he and Miles are just such a good fit. They get along together. They challenge each other, you know. They push each other as former number one overall draft picks who, who frankly, in a league of athletic freaks, they look different than a lot of guys. And I think that, um, you know, Clowney just loved playing with Miles uh, and in Cleveland last year, and he was able to stay healthy, and that certainly helped. Uh, you know, he missed two games with COVID and one um, because he had some soreness and a knee, didn't want to push it, listen to his body, some, some things that he didn't do earlier in his career, and injuries piled up on him. Uh, so, you know, he had such a good experience last year. It was really a, a career renaissance. I mean, he had zero sacks and only played eight games the previous season with the Titans. And then last year comes in with the nine sacks and plays 14 games. And, you know, the fit was just so good. And, and the Browns got him back on another, you know, one-year deal. Um, and for the, the level of player he is, a good deal. It, it, it's $11 million max. I mean, that's if he reaches all, his, all of his incentives. Um, so just a slight bump in, in pay from last year. And he did reach most of the incentives last year, uh, late in the season when he was racking up some sacks. So I just think that it's such a good fit, um, you know, not only from, uh, you know, just uh, complimenting each other, Miles and, and Jadavian, from a pass rush standpoint. Of uh, you know they, when you know teams double team Miles, they can't double team Jadavian, and uh, you know that that creates opportunities for everybody on the D line. There's such a domino effect there. But Clowney's such a good player against the run, and uh, I think that you know the the missing piece now is that that number three edge rusher that Tack McKinley was last season for him before he tore his Achilles but I think they think Chase Winovich can be that uh you know after trading Mac Wilson to the Patriots for him uh and they also drafted Alex Wright in the third round who I didn't mention earlier because I do think he has a little bit uh, more of a an uphill climb in terms of the rookies who need to get past veterans for significant playing time but I could definitely see him uh, working his way into the rotation, uh, you know, as maybe a, a, a number three or number four D end and getting some pass rush opportunities too. So, yeah, I think Clowney was huge, uh, makes such a difference for that D line and the entire defense. And, you know, Miles Garrett is the undisputed leader on that defense. They invested so much in him from a contract extension standpoint. And, you know, you want to keep Miles happy and and make sure that, you know, defenses aren't able to, or I'm sorry, opposing offenses aren't able to throw every resource at him and take him out of the game. And a guy like Clowney helps the Browns keep that from happening. Yeah, he, he really does. And as long as he can stay healthy, he's a 
integral piece of of what the Browns want to do on defense and you know really if they have any chance of making a push in in the very very packed AFC they need him to play just as well or better than than he did last season I think so we'll see it's it's good for the Browns that he's back arguably he was the best free agent available when he re-signed finally so Browns have been making some moves they've been practicing a little bit Nate uh, do we have anything else to talk about this week before we head on out of here well this is the time of year that I like to look at some guys who are down on the depth chart uh, start mm-hmm. tracking them to kind of follow their journeys of whether they can make the team or not one guy a lot of people know uh, a lot about who are listening to this podcast because he he did make a, a big play uh, last season. Um, it was against the Texans. Um, really nice touchdown uh, reception. That's Demetric Felt in the sixth-round pick. Um, what's interesting about him is he's he's still going back and forth from running back to receiver. The first OTA open the media, he was with the running backs, and then yesterday he was with the receivers. And so I'm just fascinated by a guy who, um, you know, they're using that way. They're, they're keeping an open mind about him and cross, continuing to cross-train him, seeing if he can still make the team, even though the Browns are absolutely loaded at running back with, we know, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, and now Jerome Ford, a fifth-round pick. Where does Demetri Felton fit in? Well, probably not that room, but, you know, they're also – use him as receiver and, and can he find a, a role? Um, special teams would be huge for his chances as well. And then a tight end, um, you know, we know David Njoku is the number one. We, we talked about that. Harrison Bryant has a chance to send a number two, but a guy who um, I'm a little bit interested in there, you know, they brought in uh, Marcus Santa Silva, the, um, you know, former uh, Texas Tech basketball player to give him a shot at the Antonio Gates-like story. You know, they've got some other guys on the roster, uh, undrafted rookie, um, you know, a couple undrafted rookies. But um, Miller Forrestal, who was with the Browns last season and and, and got some action, you know, um, when, when they really dig in for replacements, um, you know, when they had the, the COVID-19 outbreak. For some reason, he was like the star of the day in the first OTA practice and caught like everything thrown his way, was getting time with the ones. Um, and, you know, part of that was David Njoku wasn't there during the first uh, wave of OTAs. But Miller Florestal is one of these guys who is uh, taking advantage of his opportunities, albeit in, in, you know, shorts and helmets. But he's kind of an interesting guy to track and see if maybe he can make a case for becoming the third tight end. It's fascinating. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you don't get anywhere else here except the Cover 2 podcast. So some some unique names to think about. Miller Forrestal especially is, the, is one for me just based on unless Kevin Stefanski rebuilds his offense uh, in a in a big big way, he likes using tight ends. So there there's an opportunity there for somebody whether it's him or you know, Santos Silva, who you mentioned, they have a couple other guys as well. So it's good stuff. A lot of good uh, 
thoughts this week on how the Browns are looking on OTAs and, and all that. But that's going to do it for cover two this week. Uh, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes because we're finally back there. If you could, that would help us out a lot. That's going to do it for the podcast for now. Thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you next time.